This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, so what did you do? Last night, no NHL games. I know there's a big to-do about it over the past couple of days. Yesterday, specifically, what the hell is the NHL doing, man? They can't even get their schedule straight. We went over that the last couple of days as to why last night was a, pardon the Batman pun, dark night uh, around the NHL. Um, So what did you do? Me, I got to bed early. <laughs> I didn't do anything. I did some ironing of the couch with my ass. I went to bed early. I tried to catch up on my sleep. Uh, I have a feeling that Haley Salvian probably did something way more exciting than I did. Uh, Haley's in the bestie spot today. Elliot's writing, so Haley stops by here in a couple of moments. Um, I'm betting she did something over-the-top exciting that she may regret today, but we'll see. Uh, Andrew Gross stops by at the bottom of the hour, so Islanders beat writer at Newsday. Uh, We'll talk about the New York Islanders. There's 14 games, by the way, on the schedule tonight, and some of them are really delicious. Flyers face off against the Islanders. We'll talk to Andrew Gross coming up at the bottom of the hour. Also, uh, it is Wednesday, so that means Greg Wyshynski. And that means this week we're talking about international hockey and the don't call it the World Cup, World Cup, that the NHL is going to stage somewhere down the road. One of the main topics I think that we'll talk about a lot today, and John Bartlett, by the way, drops by to talk about the Bolts and the Winnipeg Jets. Um, One of the things that we're going to talk about a lot today is the return of Patrick Laine. Now, you know, one of the great lines that's going around, and, you know, Elliot talked about it, mentioned it both on the podcast and here yesterday, maybe the day before? No, yesterday. Um, In reference to Patrick Laine and in reference to uh, a lot of players who have either been healthy scratched or benched for long periods of time. Uh, The feeling around the Columbus Blue Jackets specifically is this one. The benchings will continue until morale improves. I like that. That one really found a home for me. Uh, As I mentioned, 14 games on the go around the NHL this evening. And if you are someone who is inclined to complain about everything, no matter what, if you're the kind of person that wakes up in the morning and and, and, and complains about there's too much sunshine or... I don't like the taste of this oxygen this morning. Uh, Then here's what we can grouse about tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, 14 games around the uh, NHL this evening. Seven of them starting at 7 o'clock Eastern. (laughs) Remember how the NHL not too long ago made a big deal about how, you know, that one night where they did the the, the flyby NHL and Boochgrass hosted it and every game had a time stagger and the NHL was so proud that they were doing it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's just a one-night thing. Although I think they're doing it later on this season as well. Seven games starting at 7 o'clock. One of them, the Flyers and the Islanders starting at 7.30 Eastern. A pair at 9, St. Louis and Arizona, then Calgary, Nashville. Vegas and Dallas will face off at 9.30. Yes, they're playing a game in Dallas on the 60th anniversary of the assassination of John F. Kennedy. It was the Mafia. No, it was the CIA. No, it was the Cubans. No, it was the Russians. It was all of them. Uh, that one at 9.30 Eastern. Three of them at 10 o'clock. Uh, Montreal, Anaheim, San Jose, and Seattle. And then the one that might be the game of the night. And that is the Vancouver Canucks facing off against the Colorado Avalanche. So on the skid tonight, we have Vancouver, Colorado. Second in the Pacific facing off against second in the Central. Tasty. We have Boston and Florida, uh, first and second in the Atlantic going head-to-head. We have Vegas and Dallas, as I mentioned, first in the Central taking on first in the Pacific. We have eight versus eight in the Central and the Metro in Chicago versus CBJ, the return of Patrick Liney. But really, it's Bedard versus Fantilli, right? 
We have the Flyers and the Islanders. We have the Rangers and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Penguins' story is injuries. All that coming up over the course of the next two hours. We'll see how much we can plow through because I do want to talk about teddy bear toss season. Because, yes, folks, if you've never been to a game, you should really do yourself the favor. And we are in teddy bear toss season. Um, she is Haley Salvian. She writes for The Athletic. You can hear her across many platforms on Sportsnet as uh, one of our ace hockey commentators. She is Haley Salvian again, and she joins me now. Hello, Haley. Hi. I thought you were joking when you uh, brought up the teddy bear toss. No. No, I have a special place in it. my heart for teddy bear toss. Well, we're going to get there. We're going we're gonna to lead to that. You don't open up with Freebird. You, you build towards it. You get to the hit single right, somewhere right. towards. I'm sorry. Yeah, and this is always, always a topic that impresses. So here's what I want to open with. So yesterday I did two-thirds of the square root of Sweet F.A., I did nothing last night. I got to bed early. I ironed the couch with my butt. Like, I did nothing last night after I got my kid home from hockey. It was glorious. Now, I know you, Haley Salvin. You're a much more exciting and dynamic person than I am, so I cannot wait for you to share with all of our listeners slash viewers the excitement that was your evening when you didn't have NHL hockey to watch. This is going to be tasty. This is going to be spicy. This might even be devilish. Haley, what did you do last night? Um, I, nothing, and it was just a very boring <laughs> sports evening. I would say, like, I tried to watch a bit of um, Cavs Sixers. Like, I was watching some NBA. There was some college hoops on. Um, but as I was watching yeah. the NBA game, I hated the court so much that I just started watching HGTV, which then kind of annoyed oh, no. me because it was Love It or List at Vancouver – and it's just people with Did we like just lose Haley as she started talking about home garden television. Thousand dollar, you know, budgets to renovate their homes, or they're trying to buy a mm. home in their one point five million dollar budget, and like it doesn't have the the nice bathroom they wanted. It's just I don't know. It was not fun. Just didn't enjoy it. Not relatable, not relatable. content. Okay, love their list at Vancouver. So. What is relatable is we have a whole slate of games coming up today, 14 of them specifically. The game of the night looks to be Vancouver, Colorado, but really it could be Boston, Florida. It could be Vegas, Dallas. Uh, it could be Philadelphia and the Islanders. Who knows? Like, There's a lot of great choices around the league tonight. Um, I want to get to the uh, the PWHL training camp is open. You have a great piece at The Athletic right now. I read it this morning. It's excellent on why they are logo-less uh, to start the season. But before we get there, give it a, a quick thought on, on Vancouver here. Like, we look at the Edmonton Oilers and we say, okay, you know what? They, they can't be bad this long. They're going to turn it around eventually, right? Uh, I'm not so sure about that. But with Vancouver, one of the stories is they're going to cool off eventually, right? How do you feel about the Canucks heading into tonight's game against the Colorado Avalanche? Yeah, I think we've talked about them a little bit when I've been coming on here with you, Jeff. And I think they've been and continued to be one of the kind of interesting, most interesting teams to talk about in the early season because, yeah, everybody keeps talking about regression. You know, there's certain things that that's happening with the Canucks right now when you look at their um, expected goal differentials and, you know, the amount of shots that they're allowing against. And, you know, they're not going to get uplifted by a great, you know, shooting percentage and save percentage all season. Like, everybody just knows that. Um, But there's also still things to really like that, um, you know, should last. You know, Quinn Hughes playing as well as he is sure he might, you know, not be as, 
electric every single night, but I don't think people are thinking he's going to fall off a cliff or uh, Elias Pettersson, he's not going anywhere, right? So I think there's reasons to think that the Canucks are going to either regress or come back down to earth a little bit, but I'm not at a point where I'm looking at this team and saying, you know, when are they going to just completely fall off a cliff and become, you know, the Philadelphia Flyers from a few years ago when they had a really great start and ended up in the basement of the standings. Um, I think there's going to be a middle ground there between how great they have been and the regression. Like, I don't think they're going to regress down, you know, a bottom 10 team by any means. Um, But they're still an interesting team because we're still trying to figure out you know, on November 22nd, exactly who they are. Yeah. You know, it, it, I was on with Halford and Bruff this morning. Uh, I do a weekly hit with them on Wednesdays, and we were talking about this, like, okay, so what happens if slash when, you know, some of the performances soften, right? Because everybody, like all the top guys are hitting at the same time, and they're all playing great. And you see the evidence on the ice, you see the evidence in the standings, etc. And the, the point that I was trying to trying to make with the guys this morning was, if this was a young team, like if this was Anaheim, for example, and they started off the season and really turned heads, and we all went, oh, Greg Cronin's doing a great job. But at the end of it, when you really peel it back, it's a lot of young hockey players that are punching above their weight. And you can see, like, okay, when it goes south, it, it's going to be a crash. And that's okay because they're a really young team. But JT Miller is 30. Elias Pettersson is 25. Brock Bresser is 26. Quinn Hughes is 24. <laughs> Thatcher Demko is 27. So there's been a lot of hockey that these guys have already played. Like, I don't think this is going to be one of those things where they go careening off the Cliff, Thelma, and Louise style at all. Like, even if, you know, Besser's stick gets cold or for whatever reason, you know, Quinn Hughes stops putting up three points a game as he's been doing or, you know, JT Miller uh, isn't as hot as he's been. Like, whatever. I don't know that they fall that far. I just think it'll be like a normal three, maybe four-game losing streak, and then they just pick up where they left off. Like, do I think they're going to win the Stanley Cup? No. But I think they're going to get there. Like, not to the Stanley Cup, but I think they're going to get to the playoffs and probably do some damage when they're in the playoffs. I just, based on what we've seen so far, I just don't see any drop being too precipitous, Haley. Yeah. I'm with you on that, and I think the other part of that conversation, too, is, you know, the division and the conference that they're in, right? When you look at the, obviously it's way too early to talk about playoffs, but if you look at the top eight teams uh, or whatever in the Western conference, like who are we worried that the Canucks are going to get passed by? Like the blues, the Kraken, the ducks. Like, I I don't, I don't see that happening. I don't see that as a concern. I see this um, Canucks team as a playoff team. Like you said, Jeff. Um, Edmonton Oilers, again, I, I, I feel like we're going to do this every day because I think we're all sort of gobsmacked as to, as to what's happened with Edmonton. And, you know, here's the Oilers tonight, and they're facing off against the Carolina Hurricanes. They lost to Tampa on Saturday. Uh, they lost to Florida on Monday. Um, Carolina's a weird team this year. Sometimes they've looked like world beaters, sometimes quite the opposite. Uh, we'll see what they serve up tonight at home against the Edmonton Oilers, who are 5-11-1. and one. Um, Connor McDavid doesn't look like Connor McDavid, like flat out. You know, I think it's safe to say that he probably came back prematurely to play in the Heritage Classic, and they're at a place now where with McDavid where maybe if they were 
on top of the division and on top of the Western Conference, they may consider shutting him down to fully let him heal or send for the holy water so he can bathe in it while the team goes on a road trip and he can be all healed up by the time they get back. But they don't have that luxury right now. And Haley, I keep saying eventually Edmonton's going to be fine and the ship is going to right itself and they're going to march to the playoffs and everything will be great in, in, in Alberta. But how many more losses can they endure until we stop saying that? Like, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Like, after that Florida game, What's I really went, uh-oh, this this is now really, really bad. Well, I mean, the fix is there if they want to lose a trade, right? Like, do you get that same feeling? Like, if they, if they want to sure. lose a trade just to get a defenseman and a goaltender, if they want to lose a trade, they can do that. Like, Philly did yep. that for years under Ed Snyder. It was just get the player. It doesn't matter what we pay. Just get the player. Whether it's free agency, whether it's a trade, didn't matter. You want, you want one draft pick? How about we throw in another first-round draft pick? Like, it didn't matter because at the end of it, Bobby Clark and Ed Snyder would stand there and say, we got the player. So the fix is there, but I guess Edmonton doesn't want to pay inflated prices for it. This is a long-winded way of setting up this question. What do you think of the Oilers right now? How many more games can <laughs> I mean, they no, lose I, like I they did on Monday and Saturday? Long, but it's great, and I think it's, um, they're a difficult team to really think about in a sense. Because as you just mentioned, Jeff, and my whole thing that I think about with the Oilers is like, what is the fix? That's the only thing I'm thinking of is, you know, this team, their record is not good, as you mentioned. It's what, 5-11 and, and 1, and they just lost a game to the Florida Panthers. And my colleague at The Athletic, Daniel Nugent Bowman, had a good piece after the game saying, like, this was a you know, a greatest hits album of the first few weeks of the season that lost to the Panthers, right? You know, they yeah. come off the win against the Kraken and you think, okay, you've got a new coach, you know, Jack Campbell's in the American League or Calvin Picard, let's see what they can do. And you hope, you know, is this going to be a springboard for them? And then they come out and they blow a lead, um, 2 nothing advantage wiped out before the end of the first period. You get the undisciplined Vander Kane penalty. Like you get all of the things that have, been issues for this team all season in that game and so you keep starting to think okay what how do they fix this because the new coach bump isn't happening it's still early maybe it could a little delayed bump um Mm -hmm. they're trying to fix the goaltending situation and none of it's enough so i'm at a point where i'm looking at the oilers team like you jeff and thinking like when are they going to turn this around (laughs) Are they going to turn it around? I think you can have the same conversation um, that we just kind of did with the Canucks in the sense of you benefit from the Western Conference. But, like, at this point on November 22nd, like, the St. Louis Blues are playing better hockey. The Arizona Coyotes are playing better hockey. So at what point do we kind of Mm. just decide it's done? And I feel like you give the Oilers a bit more of the benefit of the doubt because they have McDavid and Dreisaitl. But we also haven't seen those guys be able to steer the ship into more consistent mm-hmm. wins. So it's kind of confounding to watch this team right now. Okay. One of the other hot button issues right now, benchings and scratchings. And I want you to hear something. This is from uh, Columbus Blue Jackets forward Patrick Liney. This is him commenting after practice yesterday on being a healthy scratch. We'll pick up the Columbus conversation after hearing from Liney himself. No, it was it was complete surprise. Um, yeah, I mean we had some talks, but 
I don't think it was related to that. Um, so yeah, I was I was kind of blindsided by it. I'm not gonna lie, but you know, what what are you gonna do? It's just to suck it up and yeah. suck it up and um, you know deal with it. But um, yeah, that's that's all I got all I gotta say about it. Yeah. Okay, so Haley, the great line going around Columbus is <laughs> around this benching, and there's been other benchings, or the, the scratching rather, is uh, the benchings will continue until morale improves. Like it seemed very much as if Yarmo Kekalainen and John Davidson both looked at this team last year specifically and said, these guys have it too easy. It's too much of a country club. It's uh, it's too much like, you know, the guys are coming in, uh, playing some tennis and having lunch, you know, nice, nice tennis match and have some lunch and then, and then, and then go home. Uh, and they wanted something tougher. And that was Babcock. And then Babcock went nuclear and into Pascal Vincent, but not with the persona of the assistant coach, but with the persona of the tough head coach who was going to scratch people who was going to bench people and listen it's really hard to become a head coach when you're an assistant because players look at you one specific way and when you're the assistant you're the nice guy well you know what the coach was trying to do is this and what the coach is doing is trying to say this and you sort of try to give everything a soft landing then you're the head coach and you start to lay down the law and there is a tendency for players to look at you a little bit fraudulently because it's like, well, what happened to that nice guy that we've had for the couple of years? All of a sudden he's cranky and I'm benched. Um, Line A's back in tonight as the Blue Jackets face off against the Chicago Blackhawks. And we should probably be talking about Bedard and Fantilli, but here we are talking about Patrick Line A. How do you see this situation either playing itself out? How do you see the Blue Jackets right now? <laughs> well, I have thoughts on the benchings that have happened and I thought what Patrick Line had to say you know I thought it was really interesting that he didn't stop at just saying this is the most embarrassing thing that's happened to me like he went on to say like he was blindsided by the decision he thought it was unfair he didn't yeah. think it was beneficial for his play you know of course he acknowledged that he has struggled so far this season in part due to injuries we should mention but like I guess I just wonder if players are suffering from a lack of confidence and playing for a team that's in the basement and, you know, last in their division, um, is benching a bunch of them really what's going to (laughs) be what works for them? Like, is that really what is the best thing for Patrick Laine right now? Like, goal scorers go through streaks. Mm. And, yes, we know he's struggling, but I guess I just don't understand why blindsiding one of your star players with a benching is going to be what really lights the fire. Like, I just think there's better ways to motivate your team and to make your team better. Cause at the end of the day, like there's multiple guys getting benched all the time. Like we're talking about young players getting healthy scratch. We're talking about Patrick line getting healthy scratch, Johnny Gaudreau, like yeah. all these players are having down seasons and the team is playing poorly. So at what points is, you need to, you know, look at what you're doing in practice or uh, look at systems that you're playing. Like, look at the way that these guys are training. I just don't think that these kind of consistent, healthy scratches are working, especially when we look at their record and the way that the team is playing. I, I just feel like there has to be a better way <laughs> to get all these guys clicking again. And and I say this from somebody who only watches the team from a television on my couch. Like I'm not at practice in Columbus every day. So I think it's maybe unfair for me to speak to 
what Pascal, Vincent, and, and the coaching staff is doing on a day-to-day basis because I'm not there. I mean, even if you get to watch a bit of practice, we don't know. But I just feel like you watch mm-hmm. the healthy scratches and then you watch the team and then you look at where they're at in the standings and it just, you know, it's not having the effects that I think they think it's going to. The thing is, when you look at what Columbus has tried over the past couple of seasons, okay, so they tried the nice guy Eddie routine last year. That didn't work. I know injuries were a mitigating factor for Columbus, granted. Uh, And now they've tried the uh, all-business, no-nonsense approach, and that hasn't worked either. Like, to me, Haley, this isn't even about Pascal Vincent anymore. This is about Yarmo Kekalainen. Like, this has gone past the relationship between coach and player. This is all about player and manager, like it's not even a coach's decision anymore. It's a GM's decision as to what's going to happen with this roster. That's how I feel about it. Like they've exhausted. Listen, the Hail Mary pass was putting Patrick Line in the middle, right? I mean, it worked with, I've brought up this example a couple of different times. It worked with Buffalo and Tage Thompson. Like they're, uh, what are we going to do here with Tage Thompson? I don't know. Hail Mary pass, maybe make him a center. And for Buffalo, that worked great. And I'm sure that was the philosophy behind, you know what? It's not working on the wing for Line. A. He can't get in position to get that shot off anymore. The game has evolved. Line A hasn't evolved with it. Maybe it'll work with him in the middle, but it hasn't. To me, it's not even a coaching issue. To me, it's a GM issue. This one is a Kekalainen problem more than it's a Vincent problem. Agree or disagree? Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't think that it's all on Pascal Vincent. I think, as you said, like nothing has really worked over the last few years. And I think one thing that happened in the aftermath of what happened with Mike Babcock and him getting hired and fired Mm -hmm. um, so quickly, it was people started to think like, at what point do we need to start talking about Yarmo? Because he's been at the top there for a while and it hasn't worked. And there's, you know, exhibit A, B, and C of things that are not going well under his leadership. So, yeah, I'm with you. I certainly don't blame the coach for everything. Um, But I think when we're Mm -hmm. talking about all the healthy scratches and and you hear Patrick Line saying, like, I'm having a problem with my confidence in scoring and what world is sitting me in the press box, uh, going to help me score more goals. Uh, I guess I side more with the player and, um, than the coach in that instance. But, yeah, I think I'm with you. I think Yarmo's been running the show for a while, and it's not working. Okay, let me get to your piece uh, at The Athletic um, that I read this morning, and it's excellent. Um, it's about the PWHL. Uh, starting their season with temporary jerseys, uh, no names, no logos either. Now, before we have this conversation, just let me reach in, in, in let me go backwards here into history. Um, the origins of the NHL in 1917, one of the teams had their rink burned down, so they started the season with four, and they finished the season with three. The team didn't decide to play. The team decided to stop playing, so they, they ended up with a three-team league. Then in the much-heralded expansion of 1967, where six turned into 12, first of all, they awarded one expansion team to a a market that didn't have an owner. Uh, And also the Philadelphia Flyers had roof issues with the Spectrum, and they had to start and play home games away from Philadelphia. So all leagues have growing pains. The NHL had theirs when they started, and then when they doubled in the 1967 draft. So... 
Stan Caston had talked about this uh, when they first bought the PHF, that there's going to be growing pains and not everything is going to work. And this is the first example. I just wanted to provide some historical context uh, because I can see, you know, the housing complaints about, oh, amateurs, this is Bush League and this is terrible. How could they not have logos, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think you do a really good job in your piece sort of explaining why they're going this direction. For those that haven't read it yet or as a tease and to try to get people to read it, what's happening with the PWHL? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so obviously, as you mentioned, there's been some uh, speed bumps or hiccups, I guess you could say, with everything um, launching with the PWHL. You know, one of the things that Stan Kasten has said is, you know, they have six months to get everything done, and that's six months from the expected January start date. And when they kind of announced that this league was coming and that the PHF had been purchased, and that was on June 30th. So that gives them around six months to finalize their cities, um, get, you know, their teams into place, you know, roster building, assigned venue agreements, scheduling, you know, hire staff. That's the one thing that this league has done so differently than previous iterations of women's hockey is, you know, I'm talking to a hockey ops executive. I'm talking to a business ops executive. I'm talking to partnerships people. There's a VP of um, marketing and branding that's starting next week. Like that was not a position that existed before. So, um, you know, they're doing all of this, you know, they're hiring people, they're doing payroll stuff. And, you know, Stan Kasson told me that the NHL told them like, you don't have enough time. You need to wait. You should just start next year, like start for the 2024-25 season. Um, you don't need to start yeah. in January. And Stan Kasten and, and Mark Walter kind of made the decision of, no, we made a commitment to these players. We've got to do this. Um, so one of the major issues with that timeline has been jerseys. And they don't have logos ready. They don't have team names. Um and the only thing that they kind of have are these boilerplate jerseys with just colorways and the team name across the yep. chest. And that's been a really um, hot button topic. A lot of fans are upset. Um, you know, how could you launch a league without team names and logos and, and certain things? And so for the story that you were talking about, the, the thing that I kind of wanted to explore is like, why and how does that happen? And I think the Sparknotes version um, is just time. This stuff takes way longer, like way more time, excuse me, than I ever thought from name ideation, the design process for logos to like the jersey manufacturing. I spoke with people from the Seattle Kraken and it took 14 months just for their jerseys to get made. And it took them a year to yeah. finally decide we're going to name them the Kraken. And then they designed the logo with Adidas and then 14 months just to make the jersey in a plant. Um, so in a normal timeline, you know, the NHL, when they want to revamp jerseys or change socks or change their helmets, they need 18 months notice for stuff like that. Um, so yep. to do everything that is involved in league building in six months is crazy. And just the branding for six teams in six months is just unheard of. So the league has kind of decided we're going to slow that process down. We're going to launch with these kind of basic jerseys. Um, people will know them by their city or in the case of Minnesota, the, uh, the state. And we're going to take our time yeah. to get this right because there are decisions you can make 
Um, and if they're wrong or you rushed it, you can fix it or you can learn from that experience. Um, but branding and stuff like that is not one of them. Like you, if you name a team something stupid, it's going to be really embarrassing to walk that back a year later. <laughs> so they kind of just decided, like, let's, yeah. let's take some time to get it right. It's not ideal, but, like, the timeline is kind of out of their control um, when we're talking about the commitment that was made from ownership to start this thing in, in January. So I think they're kind of doing what they can with, with the timeline that they've been provided. Let, let me ask you one PWHL follow-up here before we uh, before we wrap. We're going to have to hold Teddy Bear Toss. If you can come back next week, there's your hook to draw you in to talk Absolutely. about Teddy Bear Toss. We're yeah, happy to do it. Um, when you look at the players that were drafted slash signed – is there one team in your mind that has emerged as the class of the league early on paper? That is. Yeah, I think it's Boston, Boston and Montreal, I would say, which is going to make a pretty fun rivalry. I think when you look at like Toronto and Minnesota, I think you can see that those teams are going to have a strong identity and they're going to have good, you know, uh, roster building are going to be tough to play against. But when I think of like watchability and what teams I'm going to lock in right away, it's, Montreal because they have the best player in the world and they have the best goalie in the world and their GM and coach did a really good job at you know drafting not just like top of the lineup players but also some really interesting players um, from the Premier Hockey Federation like there's players I'm excited to see transition into like this new league Kennedy Marchment comes to mind I think Montreal did a great job Um, but like Boston is is way up there for me they've got Megan Keller who's you know, incredible offensive defender. They've got Sophie Jakes, you know, a young up-and-coming star on the blue line. Jamie Lee Rattray, mm. um, Hillary Knight, Alina Mueller. Um, they have so much talent on mm. that roster. Um, so I think Boston and Montreal are going to be the two big ones because they've just, they check all the boxes in terms of skill set, star power, good goaltending, good players on the blue line. I think both those teams kind of have the whole package. So if I had to predict who's going to be in the, you know, PWHL cup final right. on like, you know, before the leagues even started, I would say it's going to be like a, a Boston Montreal showdown in the finals. Do you think that you they're already that? talking about expansion? Even, even, even before <laughs> a puck is dropped, do you think they're even already talking about expansion for year two? I, I think that there are people who wants there to be expansion. And when I say people, I mean people who would like to have expansion franchises. Um, I think there have been a lot of people who, I I mean, I don't think I know this. Um, I spoke to people with the league. There are people who have reached out and said like, Hey, we're interested. Um, Whether that's, I think there's NHL teams who want in Um, when that's going to happen. I'm not sure, but I mean, Stan Kasten has told me on the record, you know, we're not going to be six team league. Like that's not the, that's not the goal here. We're not going to have six teams forever. And and they've had people reach out saying, Hey, we want in. Um, I'll be curious how that works because I think some of the people that want in would like to own and operate their teams. But right now the league is a single entity ownership. So um, yeah. I think we'll see, you know, it, they they have the MLS model, right? Which is the league kind of owns everything and then they have the operators. So it'll, I'll be curious to see how expansion works. If they'll let teams buy in um, or if teams will just operate and make a cut of the money. I have no idea how that's going to work. But to answer your question, um, I think there are teams who have driven the conversation around expansion who who want a slice of the pie for sure. 
would imagine Pittsburgh and Washington would be up around the top of that list. I think Seattle yeah, long term as well. I think they want to get something in LA, but I, I think Washington mm-hmm. and Pittsburgh, it sounds very much uh, to me like those yeah. would be the two of them uh, that are driving that conversation. Uh, Haley, you're awesome in the bestie spot. Um, you're awesome everywhere. Mm-hmm. Great piece at The Athletic. Uh, love it. Encourage people to have a peek at that. And uh, let's talk soon. Hey, next week, Teddy Bear Toss talk, maybe? Yeah. You and me. Yeah, love it. Okay. Done. Love it. One of my favorite nights on the calendar, Teddy Bear Toss Night. Uh, there she is, the great Haley Salvian from Sportsnet and from The Athletic as well. As I mentioned, 14 games on the go around the NHL this evening and some doozies. Like, I know we didn't get anything last night. Like, I, I had to get over it. You have to get over it. Um, tonight's some really, really good games and really intriguing games. We have, like, top teams going head-to-head. Vegas and Dallas looks awesome. Vancouver, Colorado, Boston, Florida. Uh, we have the Line A drama. We've got Philadelphia and the New York Islanders, which is intriguing. Philadelphia, the hottest team uh, in the NHL on a, on a five-game winning streak. We'll talk to we'll talk about the Islanders, and we should talk to them about the Philadelphia Flyers as well. Coming up in a couple of moments, we're going to talk to Andrew Gross, who covers the New York Islanders. And you know, I've wondered about another defenseman and a left winger for that top line. Uh, Gross weighs in. Islanders beat writer at Newsday in a couple of moments. Craig Wyshynski in hour two. John Bartlett as well previews Tampa and Winnipeg. That's another good game. A lot of good stuff today. All right. Uh, hit a break. More Merrick show across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. So, 14 games on the go around the NHL. Mentioned that uh, a couple of moments ago. And we get an interesting note in the Tampa-Winnipeg game. We'll talk to John Bartlett about that coming up uh, in hour two. John Cooper, head coach of the Tampa Bay Lightning, saying chances that Andre Vasilevsky, this from Eric Erlinson, Lightning Insider, on the chances Andre Vasilevsky might play in the upcoming three-game road trip, quote, there's a really good chance. Which is good news for teams that are carrying three goaltenders because now it's safe to wave a goaltender as soon as Andre Vasilevsky comes back. Um, in the meantime, let's get on the Islanders Philadelphia Flyers page. And speaking of goaltenders, this one should be a good one. Carter Hart versus Ilya Sorokin. Andrew Gross joins me, Islanders beat writer at Newsday. Andrew, how are you today, pal? Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Good to uh, talk to you. Yeah, great to talk to you as well. And um, when you, if, if you could give us a, a snapshot right now of how you see the Islanders. Like, I want to drill down on goaltending, blue line, uh, top line, Bo Horvat, Matthew Barzal, et cetera. But you're right there. Like, you're there covering all of it. You see all, you know all. Give us a snapshot of where you think the Islanders are at. They're, they're, they're just okay so far. It's 17 points. In 17 games, which obviously, you know, you project over a full season, that won't get them close to the playoffs. Yeah. They still believe they're a much better team uh, than their points would show. Uh, they, they had moments. They just got back from a, a four-game Western swing. They went 1-1-2, one, one, and a couple of shootouts. Um, they, they think mm-hmm. they're much better than their record shows, but... 
you know, when I was going around and in the press boxes there, everyone who, you know, <laughs> who's not in that dressing room, who's observing them said, you know what, they, they might be pretty much what they are right now. And that's a, that's a mm-hmm. team that is really going to struggle to, to, to get a playoff spot. You know, it's interesting, too, because and, and I can see I mean, I can see as much as I can try to figure out what goes on between Lou Lamarillo's ears. I can see Lou Lamarillo looking at this roster and saying, like, look, it's it's veteran teams that tend to do well in the playoffs. The hardest thing, though, is yeah. we need to get to the playoffs. Um, and the, the one thing that I wonder about and I've talked about this for a couple of weeks now. You know, it's been a revolving door beside Bo Horvat and Matthew Barzell. I'm sure at times it feels like they're playing five on four sometimes. Um, they've tried a lot. I would argue they've probably tried, tried everything uh, with those two players. Is it finally time to really go out and spend to try to get a winger and load up a top line, not unlike how we see with the Dallas Stars or the Colorado Avalanche, etc. Because I look at Horvat and I look at Barzal and I say, you know what, they're, they're just under a point a game. That could be a dynamic line. They just need one more guy on it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think your point is kind of spot on. Uh, Simon Holmstrom uh, has, has been playing there uh, on the right wing with those two. And he's adding a little bit of value there. Um, he's getting more confident mm. with his shot, and he's pretty good along the walls and, and retrieving the puck and then getting out of the way and let, letting the two big boys really skate around and create chances. And that's it's been effective. They had a really good road trip, so uh, Lane Lambert's going to give it more of a run. But, yeah, bigger picture. I, I I would not mm-hmm. be opposed. Now the, the the question is how does Lou pull that off? They're they're tied up against the cap. You're going to have to probably trade yeah. away something. Um, it, it, can Lou afford to trade away another first round pick? That would be five in a row. And you know the 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 organizational rot when you trade away five consecutive first round picks. There, there's going to be a price to be paid down the line. Um, but you know, I, I don't necessarily think Lou is too concerned with that. He's always, he's always about this season. Right. And I, I think he does yeah. look at his core. Um, look, the, the power play and, and particularly because of Horvat and Barzell, the, the, the power play is playing better. Brock Nelson at 32 still seems like he keeps getting better and better. Um, and, you know, you still have some decent pieces on defense. And like you mentioned, you got Ilya Sorokin. And, by the way, Simeon Varlamov is having a heck of a season yeah. uh, so far and, yeah. and has earned more playing time than I think anyone would have expected off of what Sorokin did last season. So, you know, looking at it, yeah, you can say the parts are there. They need to they need to be better defensively. They need to have a better penalty kill. But if you loaded up that first line, it would go a long way to making the Islanders a dangerous team. And I don't think mm-hmm. you can say right now they're a dangerous team. No, you know, I, I'm glad you got us there um, because every time I watch the Islanders, I have this overwhelming sense of... There's a fear of taking chances. 
Um, and you see it on the ice in all three periods. And the game has changed, as, as you all know, Andrew. And this is a game where you have to take chances and maybe expose yourself in one area to try to benefit in another. The Islanders seem so, so hesitant to making a mistake that I don't know whether they're giving any of their skilled players enough opportunity to create because they are just so so hesitant to take a chance like am i seeing am i seeing the same thing that you're seeing or are you seeing the same thing that i'm seeing here like i'm not a phrase it but i look at this team and listen it's a lou lamarillo team um before it's barry trotz and now it's lane lambert so it's going to be a conservative style of play to begin with but it seems as if they're just terrified to take any chances on anything am i seeing this right well, uh, yeah, uh, uh, they're they're not as aggressive, perhaps, as as they need to be. I think what you're also seeing is they don't they don't always play fast enough to present themselves as a team that looks like it's going up ice and taking taking some risks and taking some chances. Uh, they, they've had some troubles, you know, defensive zone exits and uh, just transitioning up ice has been a little bit of an issue at times. And I think that's what leads into what you're seeing. They've, again, they, they've been better probably the last, I would say, maybe the two game, the last two games, which, which both went to a shootout. I, I thought they played respectably well in both of those games uh, could have come away with four points instead of three. Um, but yeah, they're, they're not a team, you know, they're not a team that is going to blow you away with their talent, even with Barzell and Horvat on the top line, they're going to, they're going to grind you down. And uh, you know, I, I, I don't know if that's going to be enough for them this season. Uh, let me ask you about Cal Clutterbuck. This is uh, game number 1,000 for Clutterbuck. Yeah. Do I have that right? This is game 1,000 for Clutterbuck. This is game Absolutely, number 1,000. My yeah. first memories of, of yeah. seeing seeing Cal Clutterbuck play go back to the OHL when he was playing for St. Mike's, uh, and he was traded to the Oshawa Generals. John Tavares was the star there. They later played together on, on the island, as we all know. But he was traded there to provide um, a little bit of uh, toughness uh, around John Tavares, who had been taken advantage of by other teams around the OHL, and not that he was there to ride shotgun as an enforcer or anything, but he was someone that could, you know, defend someone like Tavares. And listen, I- I'm really impressed at how Cal Clutterbuck has carved out a really nice spot for himself in the NHL. Like the NHL is littered with guys that may have been, you know, 40 goal scorers in junior hockey that had to learn how to play another way to survive and stay in the game. And to me, he's one of those guys, one of those examples of a guy that's adapted the way he plays in order to stay in the national hockey league. I think a thousand games for Clutterbuck is an outstanding achievement. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, I was talking to some of his teammates, uh, it's a thousand games, right? But, Given the hard-edged way he plays and, and some of these, you know, borderline horrific injuries he's suffered, you know, I'm thinking of Patrice Bergeron's skate slashing his wrist. And, you know, he was yeah. talking today. His, his first exhibition came with the Islanders. He took a skate blade to the, uh, to the thigh and missed a bunch of games, you know, his first season. Uh, he just plays a game that has knocked a lot of other people out of the NHL well before a thousand games. So, you know, getting to a thousand mm-hmm. games is special for, for any NHL player. I, I just, I get, 
I just feel like it's more special for Cal Clutterbuck to get there just because, you know, a lot of other players might have thrown it in. Uh, you know, he had season-ending shoulder surgery a couple of seasons ago. We thought that might have been it for him. Um, you know, the, he still has a little bit of loss of feeling in his left hand because of that, that you know, being slashed uh, by the skate blade. He's just persevered so much. Um, that this is a really, really special 1,000th game. I, I got to tell you, like, you know, uh, across all sports that I've covered, and it's, you know, it's baseball, basketball, football, uh, college sports. Cal Clutterbuck might be the most fascinating person I, I, I've covered because he's a thinker. Um, hmm. he, he just he does not suffer fools at all. Um, he has strong opinions about everything. And I, I, I got to like, I enjoy every interaction with Cal Clutterbuck because I find him an absolutely fascinating person. And, uh, you know, I, I'm really mm-hmm. happy for him that he, he gets here because there were, you know, he should have gotten here last season, but he missed 33 <laughs> games because yeah. injuries. Let me, uh, I've got about, unfortunately, about 30 seconds, unfortunately, for uh, for this answer. But I am curious because you mentioned the, uh, the, the Western road swing that the team went on, uh, and now they're back home. You know, the game before they left was that game against the Washington Capitals where fans were, yeah. you know, chanting, you know, get rid of get rid of Lane Lambert. And Casey Zizekas came out and blasted fans, essentially saying, stay away. Um, oh yeah. boy, uh, I can imagine how that would have gone over well uh, or not with uh, with ownership. Uh, I would hate to be a public relations director with the Islanders <laughs> trying to manage and massage that message as well. Do we know how that comment by Sezikis was dealt with internally? Uh, internally, I mean, he, he said it to me. I, I wound up writing the story. Um, and then he clarified his comments on the road to me in which he basically doubled down on saying fans can boo, but, yeah. you know, the calling for people's jobs is what I can't abide by. Uh, I, I think <laughs> you talk about PR. I think PR said to him, boy, you know, we really wish you hadn't made those comments. But, you know, Casey's, <laughs> Casey, Casey's a big boy. He, he, he had – that's what he yeah. felt at the time. And look, you know, you talk about Cal Clutterbuck. That's what made, that's what makes that line so good over the years is they play on emotion and, and, and Casey and yeah. Cal are both very emotional people. And Casey's whole career has been built like Cal on protecting others. And he felt he was protecting his teammates and his coach. And, and that's why he spoke out. Mm, that's a good point. A far cry away from Bob Gainey calling fans bastards uh, who were uh, booing Patrice Brisebois once upon a time. So I guess it was a softer landing for Islanders fans. Um, well, Andrew, we'll thanks see. as always we'll for, for stopping by. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, pleasure talking well, yeah, exactly. To we'll, well. we'll see you tonight. Yeah, a pleasure. Yeah, yeah you'd yeah. be good. Uh, Andrew Gross joins me from uh, from Newsday covering the New York Islanders. will face off tonight against the Philadelphia Flyers, one of 14 games on the board, and that is an intriguing one because Flyers are red hot right now. The rebuild's over, right? That's a joke we've been making anyway. Uh, Matt Marchese along with me now because it is time for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. What you got on the mind tonight, Matty? Oh, man, it's Canucks and Avs tonight. And, I, and I'm not saying this just because you mentioned it off the top of the show. I actually had all these notes done uh, last night, and I just forgot to let you yeah. know. So uh, here we go. Puck, good game. Yeah, puck line is 
Avs minus one and a half. Uh, this one in Colorado. The Canucks are 35 and 17 in the last 52 meetings. The Canucks are also seven and three in the last 10 meetings in Colorado. And the under is five, two and two in the last nine meetings in Colorado. Very interesting one, Jeff. Two of the most fun teams to watch in the NHL, hands down. To me, this is the marquee matchup uh, around the NHL this evening, and this is an NHL calendar that has Vegas and Dallas, which looks great, that has Boston and Florida, that looks great, that has Edmonton and Carolina, which is intriguing. And I know people now are watching the Edmonton letters for the car crash factor uh, more than anything else. Um, This is a really, really good-looking game. Um, the Vancouver Canucks are flat out fun and the Colorado Avalanche, you know, I think back to that game on Saturday, uh, where they're playing the Dallas stars and Dallas goes up three, nothing early. Tyler Sagan has a couple of goals. And then as one person I talked to on Sunday about the game said to me, point blank said, look, when the Avalanche gets there, as he calls it, Stanley cup four check going good luck against that team. You know, I was on with Halford and Bruff this morning and we were talking about that Stanley Cup run two years ago by the Colorado Avalanche and talking about how that might have been the best team and the best Stanley Cup run of any team in the salary cap era. Now, I've got to put on my thinking too can think more about that, but that really was impressive. And the point about the forecheck, I think, is 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 the right one and the good one. This is going to be a challenge for a really good Vancouver Canucks team. I don't want to call it a measuring stick game or anything like that. I just think it's going to be a really good game of hockey, but it is going to be a test for Vancouver and specifically Vancouver's blue line. Because when Colorado turns it on and gets their Stanley Cup forecheck going, they are really tough to contain, even without Arturi Lekkanen. And by the way, the news on that injury does not sound good at all. And you always got to be funky around next too, right? But Colorado's sake, Valeria Nachushkin has very much stepped up and played well. This should be a great game. Uh, that's Line Change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, Bet Local. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program here Monday to Friday, noon to 2 Eastern, 9 to 11 Pacific. Thanks, as always, for joining me here on the uh, TJMS, as we like to call it around these parts. Uh, John Bartlett, play-by-play voice uh, on Sportsnet, has a call tonight. It is the Winnipeg Jets facing off against the Tampa Bay Lightning. And, uh, Barts, before we get to the game itself, the big story around Boltzland, the imminent return of Andre Vasilevsky. We wonder what this means for the goalie waiver wire, if it's safe to try to sneak a goaltender down uh, to the American Hockey League. But uh, do you have a thought or two on the imminent return of Andre Vasilevsky? Yeah, the big cat was out at morning skate this morning, and uh, it looks like it's going to happen anytime. Uh, the Lightning are saying uh, they, they, John Cooper basically said he expects to have him on this road trip coming up, and that starts Friday in Carolina. So um, it, it sounds like Vasilevsky could be back if not at least in net uh, on the roster and in the lineup uh, as early as Friday in Carolina for the Lightning. So uh, good news on that situation. I think the next step to watch for is look for uh, most likely Matt Tompkins to be put on waivers. 
and that'll be your indication that they're ready to bring Vasilevsky back and, and have him back for, mm-hmm. for Tampa Bay. So that is big news for the Lightning, um, you know, that they've survived this stretch with it without him, and, and it looks like he is, his imminent return is coming here on this upcoming road trip for the Lightning. Montreal, Buffalo, Detroit. One final thought on the uh, cascading effect of Vasilevsky coming back. I know that Edmonton does exist too, but uh, does it make it that much safer for goalie waivers now, John? Yeah, that's the big question, right? Uh, you know, with the teams that are out there shopping and, um, you know, who are you keeping an eye on? You, you often wonder, you know, everyone says, do you sneak one through? Are there teams waiting for one particular uh, player that might come up and say, you know, if we just, if we can hang on and we think that that name's going to come up, then maybe that's the one you jump on. So it makes you wonder if that's what the teams are thinking about, uh, um, you know, with, with who might come available. So, mm-hmm. um, It's Kyle Connor's world. We're just living in it. Thoughts on uh, Winnipeg's sniper and uh, keeping pace with all the top dogs and right on top of the leaderboard with Austin Matthews. Yeah, absolutely. Four multi-goal games this year and five game winners, uh, you know, coming off of Saturday against Arizona. This this is going to be a good showdown tonight. You've got Kyle Connor and Nikita Kucherov both going head-to-head. Both yeah. of them have been lights out here in the month of November. Uh, Connor's got nine in November and Kucherov seven. And, you know, he's one behind them, 13, 14 going in tonight. So, um, this is going to be a great fun game tonight, I think. And Kyle Connor's been playing some great hockey. He's just feeling it right now. He's putting the puck in the net, and um, you know, he's, if he keeps tracking like this, are we are we looking at another forty fifty goal season for him? Which would be, I think, be really exciting for Winnipeg and the fans, and see what yeah. Kyle Connor can do. So you know, he's lighting it up. But you know, everyone talking about this game this morning, both coaches, the players, tonight's game. These teams only play each other a couple times a year. This is East versus West. The Lightning and Winnipeg, the yep. way they're both going right now, they're, they're two teams that are um, – they have star players that get up for these games and love playing head-to-head. So, Connor Kucherov, a great example. Uh, John Cooper even this morning saying, you know, Winnipeg is a little bit like Boston, uh, full of depth. They've got those star players. They're going to be a big challenge for us, and, and everyone sort of fired up the plan. Then you talk to Scotty Arneal on the other side, and he's got the same answer. He says, yeah, I can – I see the similarity. We like to, you know, when we don't have the puck, we like to get it back quickly. So we pressure a little like Boston. And same thing. We've got Mark Scheifele mm-hmm. and Kyle Connor and Connor Hellebuck and Josh Morrissey all fired up to to have a game against the Lightning here in Tampa and go up against Point and Kucherov and Stamkos and Hedman. So the, both teams, you know, on the eve of Thanksgiving here too, where there's always a different buzz south of the border on, on the eve of Thanksgiving like this, this, this has potential to be, um, a, a pretty fun matchup tonight. Both teams have been scoring a lot lately. Um, so, you know, are we going to get into a little bit of a running gun affair? Uh, so there, there, there's a lot to look at tonight for teams that only play a couple of times against each other. They always seem to have uh, these great matchups when they do go head-to-head. So, um, you know, I, I, I think we're in for a good one here tonight. You have a thought on Cole Perfetti? You know, I, I look at, you know, uh, points per 60, et cetera, and he's always up there. Uh, the ice time is limited, trying to break him in slowly. I mean, it doesn't matter, like, what game it is or how much ice time he has. He's always producing a uh, real nice line with Ehlers and Nemestikov as well. And then you grab the game sheet and you say, yeah, the guy's got one goal, one assist, and 12 20 of ice time. <laughs> Do you have a yeah. thought on the Cole Perfetti phenomenon, bringing him along slowly? 
Yeah, some players just are a little better to come along that way. And I think, you know, the one thing for Perfetti to be able to do what he's been doing on this second line uh, for now, I think, has been a great um, sort of show in the progress in his game. Uh, you wonder what will happen when Gabe Velarde comes back to the lineup for the Jets, too, if he slots back in on that line. And then you have a little more size, so that creates even a little more space for a guy like Perfetti. Um, but I know a lot of people, I think, mm. earlier on were intent to, to rush his development. Um, but I think sort of the, the little more slower approach probably has worked well for Perfetti and, and uh, to see his game progress and he's come along and continues to take strides. So um, some guys it happens a little quicker for others need a little more time. Perfetti might be like that, but, uh, but the dynamic on that line that he's got, and especially as I said, if you know, if you see Velarde come back soon, which is to be expected on the Winnipeg yeah. side, you get a little more size there. And then Perfetti with dealers on the wings, you know, there's, there's something to be said there that I think creates a little more space for him too. So um, he's just part of this whole Winnipeg team right now that, that really, you know, we didn't know what to expect. I think in some aspects from this club after the way the season ended last year, what you thought was going to be turmoil in the off season. Next thing you know, it's two big long-term contracts for Shifley and Hellebuck to sort of, you know, secure the future in the sense of, Oh, we've got some stability here after all of these guys, it's not going to be trade talk. They're locked in. And then they hit the ground running this year and come out of the gate with a strong start, you know, and, and to see where the jets are sitting here. I don't know how many people thought at this point, as we, you know, get into uh, uh, us Thanksgiving tomorrow, that they'd be tied with Colorado in points and, and right there in their yeah. division. So uh, I, I think, you know, Winnipeg is, has really kind of, I don't want to say outperformed. I think that that's too strong of a term, but I think Winnipeg certainly has had probably a much more stable and, and, uh, you know, confident start than maybe some thought they would uh, with the off season and everything coming out they had. So, so there's a good vibe with the jets right now. I think they're feeling good about themselves and, um, you know, being able to compete the way they are against these top teams. And again, you know, tied with Colorado three points out of the division lead. I don't know how many people would have thought of that, with the way the season ended uh-huh. last year and thinking, oh, this is going to be a, a year of turmoil in Winnipeg. So good on them. You know, I'll, I'll tell you what, it, what, what I really wonder about, John, with the, with the Winnipeg Jets in the Central Division is how much Kevin Cheveldayoff, well, like, well, one, I think, you know, the, the thought of empty seats during a rebuild, I think, terrifies a lot of teams and taking the step back really terrifies a lot of teams because as we see in San Jose, it's, it's a costume party and everyone shows up dressed as an empty seat and they don't want any part of that in a market as sensitive as Winnipeg is. But also, I can't help but think, like if you're Kevin Cheveldayoff, you look at your division and you say, okay, there's two teams that are really going to distinguish themselves and that's Dallas and Colorado, and they have. But then after that, for that third playoff spot, it's jump ball. And Nashville's still rebuilding. Arizona's still rebuilding. The St. Louis Blues are still rebuilding. Um, the Chicago Blackhawks, even though they have Connor Bedard, are still going to go through a, a lot of years of pain. Maybe the wild card is the Minnesota Wild, but they still have the $15 million black hole uh, on their salary cap, and maybe they take a step back as well. I wonder how much of this is just calculated by saying, look, that third spot is up for grabs, and with everybody rebuilding, why not us right now? Well, that was, you know, isn't that funny? Isn't that a similar conversation you had last year coming up to the trade deadline when you thought, you know, Colorado didn't look like they were going to have the playoff run and maybe the door was open and was that the year for the Jets to push the chips in and they pick up Nino Niederreiter as sort of their big acquisition and then, um, you know, didn't didn't go beyond that. So, 
um, you know, now you're in this situation again, possibly. And, and you're right. I, I agree. In the, in the West, I see three teams, uh, Dallas, Colorado, and Vegas. They're in a league of their own. And then you have that sort of, now you're in that second pack where everyone, I think, is in that mix. And that's Winnipeg. And, and Vancouver's played their way into that pack right now. L.A., St. Louis, Seattle's in there. And, you know, um, Arizona's an interesting one. I, I like that team. Do they have enough when the grind keeps going here? Um, St. Louis, I think, does, especially with the experience. Players like Robert Thomas on the team that have been around. And, um, you know, I, 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 I like kind of the makeup in the blues to stay in that fight uh, with Winnipeg and everything for that spot in, in the wild card and that whole positioning. So, um, but yeah, I, I think that'll be interesting as the year goes on to, for the Jets and Kevin Shovel Day off to decide, are we going to just middle through this again? And remember, you talked to me, you just said it, between the seats and also the contracts. You made the commitment for Connor Hellebuck and Mark Shifley. So yep. in the sense of a poker game, you put your chips in the pot. And at some point, you got to go all in or all you keep doing is putting half the chips in. And then before you know it, you're out of the game with no chips left to play because you, you never go for that one big win at some point. So um, that might be interesting as the season progresses for Winnipeg here. Do they see an opening where they feel, you know, there's a chance to, to, to get in there with those, the, the, you know, the top three echelon teams in the West and, and make a bit of a run for it. So um uh, it's funny. I laugh because it seems like it's the same storyline again as last year around the trade deadline. Slightly different circumstances, but again, raising those same questions. At what yeah. point do the Jets have to push a little more to go a little further into the pot if, if you think you've got a team that can do some damage in the Western Conference uh, in the playoffs? 100%. John, I agree with you totally. Like I think we're looking at a situation here, and who would have said this in July? Where the Winnipeg Jets probably going to be buyers again, like yeah. to your point, well, you well, know, look, in the summer everyone was talking. Before, like, yeah. yeah, in in the summer everyone was talking about, especially the way it ended. You know, the way it ended against Vegas and, totally. and Rick Bonus calling out the team and 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 all that. The way it ended, you thought, okay, this is it. Wheeler's going to go. Uh, they're they're going to have to move Hellebuck, and they're going to have to move Shifley, and they're going to have to get a lot for him, and the rebuild's going to have to start now. And it's going to be tough for the fans to accept that they had that whole window with those guys playing there, and in the end, nothing to show for it, and, and you never really went the full shot in. Well, next thing you know, these two signed the big contracts. Now you're back. Now you're back in this cycle again. So you know, if you're going to go at some point, do you make a run? Uh, you know, if you're going to go full yeah. rebuild, you have something to show your fans that say, we tried. They know what they had. They have one of the best goalies in the league in Connor Hellebuck. Yeah. You've got some star players, Shifley and Morrissey and uh, Kyle Connors we've talked about. So, so at what point do you say, all right, do we, do we make that push and go for it? Or do you always sit back and go, well, we're not sure. And then you end up, you know, going through another five, six years of these players and they're, in their star prime and at the end going, well, we, we, we had them, but we never really went for it. So it's that, it's that balance that shovel day has got to look at and, and kind of feel the moment when, you know, you, you hit that point of the game where you go, this is it. I'm going to have to go all in. It may not work, but there comes a point where you have mm. to sort of make that commitment when you've been adding to the pot 
all the way along. Boy, you think I would have just recently played a poker game with all this analogy. I haven't, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it's sort of that, that philosophy, right? So you can tell what happened last time I, I lost it. at the poker table. I was in yeah. on the chips. I never, no, I'm kidding. But every once in a while, you got to look at the hand you're dealt and say, this might be the best you hand do. we have to play. So, yeah. Yeah, it's great. Um, Bart's ver- very thorough. Love the analogies, and I think you're bang on, pal. Uh, enjoy the game tonight. Should be a great one. A lot of great games on the board tonight around the NHL. Winnipeg and Tampa, certainly one of them. Thanks, Bart. You'd be good. John Bartlett, play-by-play voice here at uh, at Sportsnet, handling the affairs tonight between Tampa and Winnipeg. Uh, thanks to John for stopping by. Thanks to Wish. Uh, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN.com, who stops by every Wednesday. Uh, thanks to Andrew Gross of Newsday catching us up on the Islanders. They face off against Carter Hart and the Philadelphia Flyers later on tonight. And Haley Salovian in the bestie spot today. Elliot returns tomorrow. Thank you, Haley. Across the Sportsnet Radio Network and 360 and podcast. Back tomorrow.